Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Barlins 9. I'm Jeremiah Geiger, and today I'm joined by the man himself, Eli Sussman from Fish on First. Eli, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. This is about um, the best time of year, the best moments that you could have gotten me to uh, go through this stuff. So, yeah, plenty to cover, and I've been listening to you. It's been great, your consistent episodes, there's... There's a, obviously a whole lot of material to work with, and it just gets crazier from here these next few weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Yeah, for sure. And um, we're kind of in an unprecedented uh, state for the Marlins right now, at least my time watching them since I was a kid, because I haven't watched this team uh, be any good. And now we're sitting here in July at the All-Star break, just right next week, and they're 51-37. and 37 like 14 games over five 500 it's it's surreal um really bad series against the braves recorded an episode about that and you tip your hat to them they're a really good team and you got to move on and just how important was it for these marlins to rebound the way they did against the cardinals three straight wins win the series hoping for the sweep tonight the way that they did it, especially these first three games, as we're talking here, uh, being led by their offense, putting up about 30 runs in those three games, <laughs> uh, a kind of stretch that I don't think they have matched at any other point this year or in the last couple of years to do that. And to do that at home, this is something that's been more prevalent in my mind recently, to see not only that they're winning games at home, but also scoring runs at home, because throughout this entire ballpark's history, that has been the calling card is that suppresses offense that players that were good elsewhere were not good at hitting in Miami. And all of a sudden that narrative has kind of gone away when you reach a certain talent level. And also when you have a coaching staff that prepares these guys the right way to perform the way that they're supposed to do, even when they're in a challenging environment where the ball doesn't carry quite as much as they're used to. And to do it against, frankly, a terrible Cardinals pitching staff and defense. Like there's really very few teams that are actually trying to win that have put together a less useful combination of pitching and defense this year. The Cardinals are really bad at both. The Marlins met them at a um, yet another convenient time where uh, Adam Wainwright is on the, his very last legs of his career. He started one of those games. Another one was kind of a glorified bullpen game that they put together. Uh, this is You're supposed to score against a team like this, but they did it without Jazz. They did it without Jonathan Davis losing him um, in the middle of the first game of the series. So there, uh, well, actually the middle of the second game of the series, I should say. So like, you just need to tip your hat to what the Marlins are doing. This has been um, a pleasant surprise to me. A lot of steps along this way so far this season, they've exceeded my expectations. Um, I think as the trade deadline approaches, you look at this team and realistically, you think they should be adding even more offensive talent to the organization. But then you have stretches like this that are a reminder that the guys that they got here under the right circumstances, they can be terrific and they can be enough to win these games day after day after day. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's one of those um, things where you look back a couple years ago and the Marlins get the doors blown off them in Atlanta. They're not going to come back and, and dominate St. Louis the way they have this series. It's just not going to happen. And we saw in the first game of the series a come-from-behind victory. This team does not give up. Um, they're in it to the final out. Night in, night out, they're going to be battling. 
and everyone and you know the guys they have like you said putting up a lot of runs but they're dealing with some injuries and if you want to make a playoff push which right now you got the third best record in the national league or in the majors actually behind tampa and atlanta in terms of competitiveness the marlins are right there you got to make a playoff push you're going to have to deal with these injuries so talk to me a little bit how you feel about where do the Marlins go regarding Jazz Chisholm? Jonathan Davis is now gone. Injuries to the pitching staff. How do they sort of manage this injury crisis? Yeah, Jonathan Davis is the one exception where we just found out right before we started recording. It's a season-ending injury. The surgery that he had, minimum three months. He's not going to be back till October in a best-case scenario. Um, so that at least gives them some clarity as to who they're missing. Um, with the other injuries with Jazz and on the pitching side with Trevor Rogers, with Edward Cabrera, the tricky part is that those guys are going to come back, especially Jazz. It's an oblique injury, just needs to rest it for a week, a week and a half, and then slowly build up from there. Uh, and with Edward, I think as we're recording this, he just finished throwing a yet another bullpen session. He's about to face live hitters, and then they just need to stretch him out to be a starter again. He'll be back in probably a month, within a month, you would think, at the very most. Trevor, a, a little more of a question. That's the thing, is if when you're looking at what you can do outside the organization to add talent, um, you also need to keep in mind that you will be getting these guys back, and especially in Jazz's case, he has a very big role on this team when he comes back. Um, with Edward and Trevor, it goes kind of either way because um, they have had their ups and downs as starting pitchers. They have minor league options if you want to use them, like they don't actually have to be on the major league roster at one time. And I'm like slowly coming around to this inevitability that it probably is going to be a necessary decision to go outside the organization and acquire starting pitching because we know that Yari Perez, he's getting, he's slowing down in terms of what his workload is going to be during the second half of the season. They're not going to get as many innings moving forward as they've already gotten from him to this point. Uh, we've seen Brian Hoeing. He's been, he had a couple nice starts and now he's had a couple on going in the other direction where naturally, just as you were a few months ago, you're questioning whether he's, a viable starter in any scenario they have had they have that top three that you really like sandy underperforming but you there's reason to have faith in him in the second half of the season and then braxton and lizardo but beyond that um yeah you just really don't know what to expect and you're going to need quality innings from the fourth and fifth rotation spot the rest of the year in order to make the playoffs in the first place the wild card in this um i guess that's a generous way to put it some people would say the wild card in this is Johnny Cueto, who's going to make his final rehab a start on Saturday. And then from there, they have to make a choice. They can't have him rehabbing forever. They either need to bring him up or kick him out the door. And he's looked so bad during his rehab stretch. He just hasn't looked competitive. He hasn't looked any different from any of the nondescript triple A arms that they could bring up. Um, that's the thing is you have guys in the organization who can physically start games for you. It's just that a lot of the ones that are healthy and stretch out you don't have confidence in them being any effective. Despite Cueto's resume, um, from what he's done the last few months, whenever he's been on a mound, he just has not looked like his former self. Uh, so they'll see that thing through with Cueto, see how he finishes up this rehab. And they'll be tempted, I think, to bring him up and give him at least one start in the big leagues. And um, before the deadline still, they'll have more clarity about what they can get from him. Um, and if they really don't have any confidence in him, then I think you're just, by process of elimination, if you want to keep this thing going, you're going to have to add arms from outside the organization somehow. 
and it'll be fascinating to see how they balance that with you know some of the other improvements that they could make on offense because it, you just how many trade tips do they really have to plug all these holes at the same time how many of those trade tips do they want to use with a focus only on 2023 um i think what's clear is that they are going to be buying in some form just because the team as you said it's one of the best teams in baseball at this point in the season um they just have to tread water really the rest of the year to make the playoffs as one of the three wild card teams and they should be like taking those steps to ensure that because of what that would mean to the fan base to the long-term outlook one playoff berth would be immensely valuable and important to i think everybody involved it would be huge and bruce sherman the owner just came out and pretty much stated his desire to see the marlins spend and his and made it clear that he is willing to make whatever assets are available for the marlins to be competitive this year he wants to see the team win obviously the fans are in a great spot um but when it comes to the pitching like realistically uh with all due respect hoeing is not supposed to be starting every fifth day. That was never the plan. Um, right now, the Marlins are walking on thin ice. And, you know, with with Perez uh, inevitably being shut down, at least for a certain period of time, you're going to have to go outside. I agree. Um, I don't think you're making a huge blockbuster deal for for a pitcher because, like you said, the you have to look at the minor league system. And kind of where where do you want to trade um where do you want to give away guys in, in exchange for what because the offense is still there I've said that I'd like to see the Marlins maybe go after an outfielder um with the depth issues there with Jazz and now JD getting hurt I'm really happy with Dane Myers um and seeing him getting called up I was that was a name I was really following over the last few weeks and just amazed at his his production day in and day out. But now he's a center fielder until Jazz comes back, it looks like. Um, and speaking on Dane Myers, it, what have you seen from him? Is the, is he a guy that you expect to continue to contribute, or is this a more of a placehold type move before we continue? I mean, there's every indication that you can expect him to contribute with his bat. He's been phenomenal this really entire year and just off the charts good in AAA. And it's not just the numbers. It's like the underlying talent there. He is extremely athletic and coordinated, and he hits the ball to all fields. He has just a very simple mechanical approach to it that I think is going to make him really difficult to go, unlikely to go into really prolonged slumps. He, he's really impressive. The ball off his bat absolutely flies in all directions. He's a really good base runner. That got overlooked because of his hitting, but he was 16 of 17 in stolen base attempts down in the minors. And you can see that he, he has the agility to fake it in center field. What, what I get to, <laughs> um, the, I, the way I want to put it in context is that I do think he's somewhat of a rich man's Charles LeBlanc. You remember Charles LeBlanc last year? Oh, yeah. Great at AAA. And for a period in the majors, he was pretty good. Um, and you put the whole thing together, and I think he hit in the mid-200s last year, like a 700 OPS. Uh, I, people understandably want to dream about Dane Myers because he's gone off to such an amazing start, but so did Charles LeVon at this time, and there are some similarities. I think Dane Myers is a lot more athletic, and he's more valuable defensively because he can play those up-the-middle positions, uh, and I think he's going to make more contact overall uh, as well. So we, he's, I, he's a better player. I just uh, want to pause before... Like putting him 
like even thinking about him as a center field, the main center fielder for any extended period of time, he barely has experience playing that particular position. Um, right. So uh, in the, in light of now the confirmation that Davis is out for the year and with jazz, um, I mean, you, you say like when he gets back, he'll be okay. But then that's what we said like a week ago when he was getting back from the other injury, they thought it was such welcome news to have him back. And the reality is that durability um, has been really poor for him throughout his career. You don't know how much you're going to have of him, even when he comes back from this IL stint, given his history. So that is going to be another big priority to potentially go out and get somebody to play center field. They're getting really good offense from the corner spots, from Jesus Sanchez, from Brian Del Cruz, from Jorge Soler when he plays it. It'd be really uh, valuable for this team if Soler can play even more outfield the rest of the year than he has so far, because now he's been mainly a DH. And, um, I mean, the other option they have is putting Jesus Sanchez in center field the way that he was a lot of last year. And he's even played a couple games there this year. I imagine we'll see him play some of that in July before they make a call one way or another about trades. Um, Personally, I'm not a big fan of it. He's just, he's not your prototypical center fielder. He just doesn't have the same, not even even compared to Dane Myers. He doesn't have quite as much range. Um, And fundamentally, um, those little things just aren't really part of his game. They're, he's just, it's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty defensively, but as long as he's hitting the way that he has for you know the last month and a half or so, then you live with it. But that is one option. That's one reason why they don't necessarily need to get a center fielder from outside the organization, because at least Sanchez has done it for some stretch of time before. And he's hitting a lot better this year than he did last year, obviously. Yeah, no, 100%. He's hitting a lot better. The thing with Jesus, I think, which um, worries me, is his streakiness and his inability at times in high leverage situations to consistently put the ball in play, especially against left-handers. And when you rock with him as your everyday left fielder, and now you mentioned Jazz's injury history, the, the depth at in the outfield uh, positions could be a little bit weak as we head into the final stretch, as we head into August and September. Um, third base was another position. Uh, a lot of people were mentioning Hamer Candelario from the Nationals, but I don't know if the Marlins are going to make a trade at third base or if they're going to rock with Gene Segura. I mean, yes, he's had a terrible season so far, and I talked about this in my last podcast, but you know, Segura is slowly turning it around, it looks like. And historically through his career, he's been a real professional hitter. Um, I, I I think they're going to give him every shot they have at third base. And with the catching position, that was another one I'll bring up. At this point, if you continue to start Jacob Stallings whenever Sandy is pitching, and he's obviously getting extra starts not just when Sandy's pit on the hill but are you going to just continue with Nick Fortes and Jacob Stallings it looks like that's going to be the case is that ideal given the consistent lack of offensive production at at the catching position for Miami over the few years probably not but I mean what else can you do really it looks like that's the option they're going well one thing that has probably gone under the radar now, if you zoom out and look at the overall season stats, there are there's, it's a frightening similarity between Stallings and Fortes. 
Stallings is slowly catching up, or you could say that Fortes is slowly just, it's not clicking with him. It looked like he was turning a corner offensively for a lot of like middle May, late May. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, recently he's kind of slid back again where he has been probably better than they expected defensively, uh, especially good at blocking pitches the way that he works with a couple of these starters calling games for them, Lazardo and Braxton Garrett, their successes are not all about themselves. But some of that is Fortes as well. That's been valuable. It'd be, the thing is, he's just, he's still not hitting uh, at all. And so overall with this position, they're getting so little offense from it that when, when you talk about like potentially looking outside the organization for catchers, um, you know, maybe it's stallings that either, I don't think they're going to cut Stallings no matter what. I think the question is whether they kind of hide him on the phantom IL for a while, give him a mental break, just have him in the background. I think they still value him as intangibles, um, that they'll still have him around the organization no matter what. Uh, it's not an automatic thing because if Fortes like, continues to really not hit much at all, he has minor league options. You know, If they have like a clear-cut good catcher that they can acquire, there's only a few out there maybe Elias Diaz of the Rockies or Yasmani Grandal of the White Sox. Grandal, um, yeah. Like it's, it's not totally out of the cards to option Nick Fortes for a period of time after that trade. If, if you, Because, frankly, he's just not dramatically better than, than Stallings as of late. That's why it's, it is a vulnerable position. It's yet another place where they could look to make a change. I think... Um, yeah, you know, the way they look at it, it all just depends on the price of acquisition. You know, who are you going to be able to acquire without removing too much elsewhere from your major league roster this year, without mortgaging too much of your future? There are all these directions that they could go. Uh, I don't think they have assets to go in all those different directions at the same time. It's going to be picking and choosing. Uh, and it is, as you brought up a couple times, it's a question of who of these underperformers do you have most optimism in having a good second half of the season, whether it is Segura, whether it's like somebody in this outfield that, um, which of these guys do you feel like could come close to like mimicking the production you'd get from a more established name, uh, from outside the organization. And it's, it's a really tough call to, to make right here. They're going to use, I imagine like every moment that they have between now and the trade deadline to make that assessment. Um, with the White Sox, the White Sox are an interesting potential trade partner. Um, you know, we got names like Tim Anderson, Luis Robert flying around. I've said for the last couple of weeks that one of the better catchers on the market, and there's not a lot of them, is Grandal, Yasmani Grandal. He's hitting about 40 points better than Nick Fortes and 60 points better than, than Stallings, who's still below the Mendoza line. Um and he's a veteran guy, you know, he, he knows how to operate a pitching staff and he's had a down downward uh, turn in power this season. But frankly, he he has the potential to walk into Miami as a rental is he's going to be there for three months, expiring contracts. There might be an option at the end of the season, but the White Sox aren't really going anywhere. And it looks like they're going to be willing to trade at least the the players with expiring contracts on their roster i don't like the tim anderson um rumors to miami i've i'm not a big fan of of a potential trade for him because not only is ta having a really poor season in all metrics um ops plus 
his power is non-existent, just fell off the map. Average is low. Joey Wendell, uh, since coming back from injury, has hit well and is, you know, when, when the Marlins got him a couple years ago from Tampa, he was an all-star. He's not going to hit for power much either, but he's been a pretty solid bat since turning the corner earlier in the spring. So for the White Sox, I, I would go with Grandall too. The issue with the with the Marlins system, and we're going to take a couple looks at this, uh, two players in the Marlins system you're high on and opened up your eyes a little bit, and then two, your, two players that you consider a bit overrated or have major concerns about. Because right now I look up down the Marlins' top 30 sis, uh, prospects, and it's it's pretty barren when it comes to hitting. Almost every single hitter, and it's very worrying, every single hitter is struggling in terms of average. And so let me get your thoughts on that. Who are two guys? We'll start off on the positive note for for um, to go off first. Who are two guys that you expect to contribute for the Marlins, whether that's in a few years or in the near future? Someone that you're excited about. Uh, we'll have to go pretty young with this one because at the upper levels of the minors, yeah, the production has not been there. Um, uh, frankly, I have a lot of disagreements with Pipeline's top 30 list. I, I don't think they, they're kind of out of date on this stuff. And in general, I just disagree with the way that they have some of these guys ordered. So you can go pretty far down. I think you have to be thrilled with what uh, Marco Vargas is doing so far this season. He's with the FCL Marlins. They just signed him a year ago internationally. He raked in the Dominican Summer League. And... Um, his chance to like be a shortstop potentially. I mean, that's a bit of a question as to exactly where he's going to stick defensively long-term, but he's been an on-base machine uh, ever since he started in pro ball and he's doing it even better this year than last year. I think his OBP is in the four seventies so far this season. Um, he just has an outstanding understanding of the strike zone and he also has pretty decent power from the left side. So he's, he's a few years away. I do feel that other teams, anybody around baseball has kind of recognized that he's a really uh, interesting guy. I, I feel like if they were pressured to trade him at the moment, that he would have substantial value. But if they want to be patient, I can understand that too. Even it is going to take a few years because he is, is he only 17 still? Either 17 18, 18, 18, 18 years 18, old. Yeah, just turned 18. That it's going to take a while to see him in the big leagues, but he's certainly pushing to get a promotion to low A later this year. And then if he dominates low A the same way that he did the, in rookie ball, then you're looking at somebody that could make a legitimate case as being the best prospect in the organization. That's the type of performance that he's given so far. And as long as there's some hope of him sticking in the middle infield, you're looking at a very valuable player long-term. And then the other one that I don't even think is in Pipeline's, oh, that just snuck into Pipeline's top 30 recently, and I did an article on him this morning, is Javier Sanoa. So he's with Loe Jupiter, playing a lot of center field, and also some second base and shortstop. Highly unusual for a prospect that young to already be playing multiple positions like that. But he is a contact machine, uh, just like uh, Luis Arise, just like a couple other guys in this organization. He has struck out, I think, one time in his last... 15 games, one total strikeout in like it's three amazing three weeks. Um, he's extremely fast and he's, he's undersized. He's only five foot seven. So I think realistically there's a certain limitation on his power moving forward. He's not going to be a, a complete player. 
And uh, but I think he's somebody that's kind of come out of obscurity to maybe be somebody that you envision as a utility player long term, as somebody that is probably closer to a John Birdie type than anybody else in this organization, except with some better contact skills. But there are some similarities there. So uh, keep an eye on him, though. And the two two players I'm going to go with, um, the first one is Jake Eater. When Jake Eater was drafted out of Vandy a few years ago, it had really good stuff and put up amazing strikeout, strikeout numbers. Seemed just to blow away hitters when he started off in the minor leagues. And then he got hurt, obviously had the Tommy John, and is working himself back this season. He's just pitched five innings, um, only one run, or I believe, but he's struggling with command. The command is becoming a bit of a concern, but the strikeout um, strikeout numbers are still there, still averaging about nine nine Ks per not per per uh, nine innings, and he's a guy who was is so talented um, that the Marlins can take their time to develop because we know how good he is or the the system is at developing pitchers. So Jake Eater, who was one of my favorite prospects before he got hurt, and a lot of people forgot about him. He's on his he's on his way back. Um, hopefully, will make his major league debut sometime in the future, sometime in the near future, because I really like his stuff. Big big time fastball, wipeout slider. He's a guy to keep an eye on, in my opinion. And the other guy I'm going to go with, um, just called up to the to the futures game, was is Patrick Monteverde, and it's just a great story that I want to touch on for a second. Because he started off his his college ball, he out of high school went to college to a Division three school, and transferred Division two. Ended up at Texas Tech, pitching in the Big Twelve, which is you know a baseball powerhouse conference. Really good teams over there. Gets drafted, um, and now he's in the Marlins system, pitching a sub two ERA, and gets recognized by getting called up to the Futures game. It's a great story. He comes at you from the left side as a left-hander, and he's not going to overpower you um, with his fastball. Not a powerful fastball, but he knows how to pitch. And I think that's such an important concept in today's game is guys that know how to pitch, throwback guys. Um, Monteverde is somebody to keep an eye on. He reminds me just of the way you know he's a left-hander and the way his fastball and the way he utilizes his breaking balls it like like Braxton Garrett because Braxton Garrett after he had Tommy John Brax came back and wasn't throwing hard at all and a lot of people wrote him off well Brax didn't write back um because now he's having a great season for the Marlins so that's my comparison to Monte Verde it's going to be exciting to see his development in the near future and see how Miami handles him yeah I wanted to touch on Eater quickly because that's a piece that coming into this year, realistically looked at as somebody that would be a rotation option down the road. And what I'm saying is he's just rusty right now, coming back mm-hmm. from not only Tommy John, but then he fractured his foot in spring training in a very unusual incident. That's the reason why he's barely made full-length starts to this point in the season because of that unrelated foot injury. His, his most recent start, his VLO was down. His changeup looked really good. I spoke with him, I think, right at the start of spring training, right before spring training, and he was talking about his changeup development, and that's important. 
ultimately is going to need to be the prospect he used to be and to be somebody that you feel pretty confident in being a major league starter. He'll need to get the fastball velo back up, and he'll need to get his his breaking ball together again because that that was one of the better breaking balls in the Marlins organization before he got hurt originally, and right now it's just been inconsistent. And that's another wrinkle as to why it is that seems like they're more and more under pressure to require outside help in the pitching department just because I don't think you can rely on him the rest of this year. I think more so you hope that he's back to his usual self entering next spring, and then and then yeah, from there you have a really exciting option on your hands. But yeah, with Monteverde, that it is possible to be successful even in this day and age by only throwing high 80s and low 90s fastballs um, with him. It's it's tricky because at, uh, I'm generally not a fan of having guys skip AAA and go to the big leagues. And in Monteverde's case, um, that's an option that maybe it has to be on the table just because there's so little to like at the AAA level. You'd probably like – I'm probably more confident in him potentially helping down the stretch of this season than I am of any of those filler guys that are in Jacksonville right now. But at the same time, um, it's – yeah, there is a still a pretty big difference in hitting talent between AA and the majors. Um, the key is if he's not going to – you know, is he somehow going to be able to get some swings and misses with his fastball even if the velo is relatively low? Because that's what he's doing right now. He gets a lot of strikeouts on that fastball, um, and that's just really unusual to do in the big leagues if your velocity is what it is for him right now. I'd say with Braxton, the key for his career, really, even though this year has been his best year so far, last year what turned him around is that slider becoming a really effective put-away pitch for him. And I don't think Monteverde has that secondary pitch that you feel quite as comfortable in getting whiffs as what Garrett has. Yeah, there's a potential for him to get there eventually. Um, he's almost as old as Garrett is right now. I think he's only a year younger <laughs> at most. Between The age difference between them is pretty small, even despite the differences in their experience level. As you said, he had a very unusual path to get to this point. He's a great story, and yet again, as we get him to trade deadline season, if the Marlins don't have a great feel as to what he'd do in the big leagues right now, he's another guy that you consider maybe flipping in a deal to acquire a bat at a different position, just because his value is a lot higher now than it was even at the start of the season. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say before we wrap this up, Eli is just the trade deadline. When it comes around, the Marlins do have those options in the minors. Like you, like you just said with the minor league pitching options, guys working back from injuries. We didn't even mention Dax Fulton who got injured this year, unfortunately, but is a guy former top five round pick who got all the talent you know big lefty again max meyer working his way back from tommy john surgery um both of those guys i'm sure major league scouts have high grades on on both of them and will they possibly be used to acquire a piece i think you're going to inevitably trade a pitcher or two um away from the system in order to get a bat because, like I said, you look at the hitters, it's just not a lot. Um, but it's going to be exciting. I mean, this time of the year when it comes to baseball is certainly my my favorite, this and obviously the postseason. Uh, and now when the Marlins have a chance to make quality additions to their team and get to the postseason in a full 162-game stretch, it's 
it's incredible. It's awesome to see and it's awesome to talk about. Um, so Eli, I just want to thank you for coming onto the pod. It's, it's awesome. Your insight and just discussing some fish with you. Yeah. Hope my background noise wasn't too distracting. Not at all. No maintenance going on here, uh, on my AC unit during this hot, hot day of summer. But it, yeah, it's a lot of fun to come on with you as well, but Jeremiah. So yeah, keep it up. I encourage everybody to subscribe to Marlins 9 if you don't already do so. And you can find all of our audio offerings wherever you find this. You can find us on Fish on First as well. And uh, we'll keep you guys entertained and informed. And uh, throughout this very busy time of year um, in what is a, a really special season, no doubt about it. Yep, it's exciting, guys. And with that, I'm going to thank you all for listening. And enjoy the game tonight. Let's wrap it up and sweep the cards, sweep the Redbirds. Let's go fish.